Well, next week, we're going to start the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount before? I, mean, I got to say, it, it is astounding. It's, it's the biggest, it's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and it's like the greatest collection of what Jesus had to say about how we live a life of following Jesus. What does it look like? There's other long discourses later in John, there's some, but this is the one that's really focused on living life in the kingdom of God. So it's fascinating and it's essential for us. At the end of the service, we start it next week. So at the end of the sermon today, I'm gonna issue a challenge to you and I'm going to ask you if you would be willing to read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 each week until Easter. So I'm going to ask you that at the end. Don't let me forget. If I, if I move on, flag me down. But we're going to talk about that at the end. So far, what we've seen is after the birth of Jesus, we've seen Jesus come forward to be baptized by John. And, and the voice of the Father said, this is my son who I love. With him, I'm well pleased. And right after that, Jesus goes into this 40-day fast, and then he was tempted by the devil where he's testing that, like, really? If you really are the son of God, why don't you grab the glory now and avoid all that suffering? And we see that Jesus stood firm. He understood the role of suffering in, in the gospel, and he stayed true to his calling, and he stayed firm with what he was there to do. And so Jesus here is now prepared for ministry. We're in Matthew 4 today. Jesus is prepared for the ministry that's before him. He's submitted to the Father. He's tested and strong. And I want you to see how that ministry got its start. I've asked Nate to come up and read our passage this morning to get us started. So it's Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 25. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went to live in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what he had said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat, and with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and said immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pains and demon-possessed, those having seizures and, ha and, the, and the paralyzed, and healed him. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, 
Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Thank you, Nate. Have you ever worked really hard on something? Like you really poured yourself into it, worked really hard on it, only to figure out at the end that you totally missed the mark. I, one time, I, there was one day uh, a few years ago, Kimberly was working, and I thought, you know, I'm going to be a really great husband. I'm going to clean the oven today, and it's going to be awesome. And maybe she'll like come home and say, look how clean the oven is. You did such a great job, right? We get these brilliant ideas sometimes. So I, I sprayed the inside with the oven, oven, what is it called? Easy off or whatever, that nasty stuff. Let that soak, wiped it off. And then I thought, I'm going to make it even cleaner. I'm going to close the door and push that self-cleaning button. Don't ever do that. Okay, so now it's like superheating what's left of the easy off that I didn't get off. And this black smoke's pouring out. And the door's locked because it's on the self-cleaning thing. And it ended up like leaving this stain. It's a white oven. So it's staining the front. So I thought, okay, this is bad. I'm going to try to get some soapy water and wash that stain off. So I'm doing that. The, the dirty water from that's running through the grill down inside the backside of the front glass in the, in the middle of the door. Okay, now I got to clean that glass. How do I clean that glass? So I spend a lot of time, I got the, the door off the oven. I'm like, oh, there's some bracket holding it. I can take this off. This is great. And I didn't realize there were like these squishy, sticky things holding it in place too. So as I'm trying to work the glass, boom, the entire front glass exploded into a thousand pieces all over the kitchen. I worked really hard on the oven that day. <laughs> Kimberly was not impressed. Everything I did went south and went the wrong direction. I thought, you know, sometimes we do that in the Christian life. We work so hard in certain things, we invest so much in certain things, and we get down the road thinking nothing is working right. This morning as we come to Jesus in this passage, we really get an example of someone, everything he did hit the mark. Everything Jesus did was right. He never lost focus of the middle of the lane. He always did the gospel in everything he did. And it's truly amazing, and you can see the effectiveness of it and how everything he did flourished, and it was amazing. We're going to take a quick look at Jesus' message, his method, and then just the, the flourishing of his ministry. So let me pray, and then we'll jump in and look at this passage in Matthew chapter 4. Father, thank you so much for get, letting us see Jesus through your word. You just have given us four gospels, four different accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus so we could see what it looks like to live the gospel. Thank you for that gift, Lord. As we take a look at what Jesus said and did today, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just open our eyes, help us to see you, and to see how awesome Jesus is. 
Lord, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at the, the message of Jesus this morning, we see that the heart of his message was grace. The message of Jesus was grace. Look at verses 12 through 17 with me. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, interesting, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is cool. Jesus begins his public ministry and we get to see that he was the perfect Messiah. The one who would rule over the people would be able to also relate to them. This, this one who would lead his people to salvation also would love his people well and personally. While being totally sovereign all the time, he also learned the role of suffering. He was the perfect Messiah. We see that he came to Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus didn't move his or start his ministry like in the religious center or in the place where all the religious leaders were. He went like out in the country so far out, it was mixed with Gentile people out there. And right from the beginning, we see that Jesus' ministry wasn't just for his clan. It was for the whole world. And I'm so glad because I don't know about you, but I'm a Gentile. Anybody else in here a Gentile? Jesus came for us. And it tells us how, much, how he brought hope and grace to the people living in darkness. I've seen a great light. And those living in the valley of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Have you ever felt like you look around and you're living in darkness? Maybe in the last few years you looked around and just saw the darkness and the shadow of death around you. Jesus came for you. He came for here. He came for us. He came to shine the light of truth and hope into our lives. And he calls us to respond. This was interesting to me. He calls us to respond to him bringing light into the darkness, to respond with repentance. If he's coming to bring hope and grace to people, why repentance? I thought that was interesting. You know, it's, it's our human propensity to be consumers, to think, well, here's my life. This is kind of how I want it, but I think it'll be a little bit better if I add some of this and if I add some of that, kind of the way we go shopping. We go through life. And so a lot of people, and you see this around, they'll say, well, I want to add a little bit of Jesus. I want to add a little bit of Christianity. I want to add a little bit of this, you know, Christianize my life a little bit because my life will be a little bit better. Uh, you know, I drove here this morning in a, 
in a, um, in a caravan, a Dodge caravan. It's got some rust on the sides. It's got a couple hundred thousand miles on it. If, if I were to say, you know what, I, wanna, I, I would rather have a sports car. So I'm going to paint that thing candy apple red. It's going to be beautiful. You know what's going to happen? I'm still going to be driving a, car- a caravan with 220,000 miles on it <laughs> and rust on the doors. But it'll be red. And that's how some of us approach Jesus. If I'm just going to add some of this on my life with, but not really change the course. So Jesus is like, you don't understand. God, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we repent. We like turn from who we are and, and we give ourselves completely to him so that God can change us from the inside out. And it's when I repent, when we turn and give ourselves completely to him, that's where we find his grace. He meets us there with grace. He doesn't meet us with grace from afar. It's when we turn to him and he meets us up close. His message was a message of grace. And his method was the method of what we call discipleship. Listen to the words starting in verse uh, 18. This is two similar stories that happen back to back. And he's showing us what this looks like. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now he shows us what it looks like when we do. He says, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting nets into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. And Jesus called to them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Two sets of brothers, very similar situations. And we see Jesus is building the core of his disciple team. He's building the core of his 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 people who will continue the disciple process. This was his method. When we look at these these four men and how they responded to Jesus, it gives us some clues as to what this means, what it means to repent and turn to Jesus. Their response was immediate. I mean, like literally, they, they just dropped their stuff. They dropped their tools and walked off the job to follow Jesus. Later in Matthew, we see other people who hear about Jesus, and Jesus is like, you can follow me, and they go, that sounds really cool. I just bought a new field. Um, Someone in my family's sick. I need to go take care of them. You know what? I'll get back to you. I don't think any one of those people ended up actually following Jesus. It was only the people that said, yes, and off they go. Which makes me wonder if when God calls us to change, which he still does, are we quick to respond? Or do we go, yeah, you're probably right, but, which I do sometimes, it's convicting to me. Another thing we see is that 
how sacrificial this was. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. These men didn't just leave their, like, walk out on the job. We don't have to fish today. They actually left their business, their family business, their careers, their, their future income. They left everything. It was sacrificial, and they committed to Jesus. And so what does it mean to be a disciple? I think you, some of you have wrestled with this quite a bit. Maybe for some of you it's new. Antioch actually has an, a definition in, of discipleship, and it, it goes like this. It's taken from this passage in Matthew 4, and it says, A disciple increasingly worships Jesus in all of life, come and follow me, is being changed by Jesus in all of life, I will make you, and obeys Jesus in all of life, fishers of men, and teaches others to do the same. The definition of discipleship I've used is really similar. Um, It's this. Discipleship is helping each other learn what Jesus said and did so we can obey him and follow his example. It's a relational process. Um, there have been kind of a popular definitions of discipleship where just essentially discipleship means growing. Discipleship means growing in your faith. Well, that's, that actually did a disservice to the church as a lot of churches kind of embrace that because it left the relationships out. Discipleship is a relational process and Jesus is explaining it, you know, come and follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of other people. There's always a relational chain and a relational flow that's going on in the discipleship process. The Apostle Paul talked about this with Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people, they'll be able to teach others also. So here's how it works. I want to follow Jesus more. I want to be committed to Jesus more. So I find some people who are further down the line than me. They're closer to Jesus than me. They're more experienced in their faith than me. And I start hanging around them. I want to be underneath them. I might go up to one and say, will you disciple me? Someone else, I might go, that's weird, but maybe I can just hang around them. Um, I've always thought, had this image in my mind of a, a barnacle that'll attach itself on the bottom of a boat. And I've, I've had, literally for a long time, and I think, you know what, that's a, I want a barnacle to that person. I want to be a barnacle. I just want to attach to them because the way they walk out their faith in Christ, that's cool. That's what I want in my life. Find someone like that. And, the, and then the key is, as you give them access to your life, submit to what they say. Because they might look at me and say, hey, here's an area where you should grow. I might not see it. That's kind of the point. I'm, I'm submitting to someone else as a means of submitting to Christ. For example, uh, I was on a Zoom call with uh, someone who disciples me. His name is Roger. He's quite a bit older than me. Lives on the West Coast. I met him through some networks, but for several years now, we'll just catch up on a Zoom call once in a while. Um, and Roger, on Wednesday, he said to me, 
you really should read a book by Andrew Murray called The Spirit of Christ. And I said, that's really good. Let me make a note. And then I was embarrassed because I went back and checked. This was the third time Roger has told me over the last couple of years, you need to read this specific book. It's out of print, but based on how I do and teach disciples, I have to find that book and read it because I submit to him as a way of submitting to Christ. And I give him access to guide me. So I want to ask you this morning, who do you have? When, can, can you, could you name for me someone who you're barnacling yourself to? Someone who you're attaching to because they will help you follow Jesus. Could, could you name someone for me? And then the flip side is also true. Who are you intentionally investing in? I always think our minimum is that we should have one up and at least two down. Find someone. If you can find more, find as many people as you can and, and help to help you. But then also invest in other people. That's the method that Jesus incorporated so that we would help each other grow and follow him. And because we're all born non-Christians and, and get saved, then our, our discipling, our influencing reaches out into people who don't even know Jesus yet. It's always evangelistic. Discipleship that bleeds right into evangelism is always true. We're always making new people fishers of men. I got to know a couple named Mike and Sherry. Mike and Sherry ran a resort in uh, Ottertail County. And when I lived in Iowa, we'd go out there as a men's retreat every year. So I got to know this couple over the years. Um, they loved being on the water and they loved fishing. They loved it so much that when they were young, they both invested everything they had to, in buying a resort so that they could run the resort. And now, 25, 30 years later, they were pushing retirement. And I said, so since you bought and ran this resort, how often do you get on the water and fish? Yeah, I kid you not. Not one time. They invested everything in something that felt like the thing that they loved, but it was a little off the mark. And they completely stopped doing the thing that they loved that was the reason for investing in it. I think sometimes as Christians we can do that. And as churches too. We want to get close to Jesus. That's all I care about. We want to see him and know him. And we invest in all of these in-between steps and sometimes that's all we end up doing is running stuff. And we miss Jesus. They, lo they love to fish. And we as, as believers, we end up doing all the other stuff, thinking it'll help us grow, and we totally miss reaching out to lost people and fishing for people anymore and bringing them to Christ. God's calling us to go fishing to be looking for new people that we can bring into the kingdom and help them grow. As we look at this last little section in our passage today, and we see what it looked like as Jesus was doing his ministry, it, it's actually pretty amazing. 
News about him spread really fast. Uh, He got popular right away. Tons of people were coming out to see him. They wanted to be a part of this ministry. Something awesome was happening. What Jesus did was connecting with people. It was it was authentic, and and listen, just listen to how Matthew describes it. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan followed him. What an exciting time. All these people are come, and they're like, well, bring Sally. She's sick with this. Let's bring her. Let's, let's get her to Jesus and as soon as they do, it's like he's healing people. They were, they, were, they were feeding on the truth, and they were enjoying the blessing of the gospel in their lives. It was an incredible time. And I think about all the things Jesus could have done with that. He had the big mo. He had a lot of momentum going for him. He had the crowds. He had critical mass. He had all this stuff. Jesus could have built the biggest sanctuary in the region. Look at this. Look at what we've built. Come and see this place. He could have done that, but he didn't. Jesus could have, have started this, uh, this, this site and then sent these guys out and done this multi-site thing uh, where everyone could come and meet him and there was all this system going on. He didn't do that. Jesus could have, have, have put together an incredible worship team. Can you imagine? I mean, Jesus is right there. He could have had this incredible worship band and brought all the best musicians from Israel together to worship him. And everyone would have come and loved the music. And he didn't do that. He could have built programs to help raise the children and the youth He could have the best youth programs in the area, in the region, and we're going to raise them so that they'll grow up and love Jesus. He didn't do those things. What did he do? He preached and taught the gospel, and he he healed. He brought healing to people. He taught. His teaching was humble and truth. and his ministry was personal, relational. I can't imagine all the physical touch. He stayed personal and real and authentic. And the gospel was powerful. His message was grace. His method was personal discipleship. And his ministry changed lives. All the stuff we want to have happen here at Antioch and we want to be part of, right? Amen. Do you want to be a part of just clear ministry that's Jesus-focused and produces life change. You want to be a part of that? That's what God's calling us to do. Keeping the gospel in the center, the gospel of grace is how we get there, and we disciple each other. So we're about to start Matthew 5, 
Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And I can't overstate, this is amazing. This is awesome. And I, it would be sad if we just kind of went through it passively. I would love for you to grow, for the Sermon on the, on the Mount to land in your head and heart and grow and produce fruit. And in me too. So to do that, I want to call you to engage with this between now and Easter. Would you be willing to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7? If you're doing a Bible reading plan now, would you be willing to add those three books once a week? So when you have time, just read them uh, or listen to them, whatever. Just put that in you once a week. Or if you don't have a Bible reading plan, would you be willing to read those three books twice a week? So you have uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you just read the three chapters again later in the week and you get a day off. Would you be willing to do that? And let that prepare your hearts between now and Easter and just let the teaching of Jesus sink in. Believe me, there's a lot of things in there that will impact you. I'm willing to do it. Will you be willing to do it with me? Actually, if you think, yep, I'm going to do that, if you're not sure, that's fine. But if you're like, yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that with you. I'm going to do that. Read the Sermon on the Mount between now and Easter. Can I see your hands? Okay. Let's do this together. Let's do this together as a church. And let's see what God would do as Jesus teaches us what it means to live under the life-changing power of the gospel in the kingdom of God. I'm going to close our, our sermon time here in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this teaching in Matthew, just that we get to see Jesus. It's almost like we're, we're, we're there in the distance watching his ministry and just hearing what he has to say and seeing how it impacts people. We long for that, Lord. I long for that in my own life. I want to see more of that in me. I want to see me following Jesus have an impact on my next door neighbor. I want to see me following Jesus be a blessing to other people and bring healing and life. So Lord, I pray that you would just walk with us as we go through this incredible teaching of Jesus. Thank you. In his name we pray. Amen.